Today is January 14, 2022. Welcome to The Regimen, where public health pharmacists, pharmacy students, and their guests discuss the latest public health issues relevant to all healthcare providers, their patients, and policymakers. Listen to find out how pharmacists and pharmacy students like me can improve population health, health equity, and patient care through advocacy and education. My name is Anisha Bhatia, and I'm a pharmacy student in my last year at the University of Rhode Island, working with the Rhode Island Department of Health alongside my professor, Dr. Bratberg. Hi, I'm Jeff Bratberg. I'm a clinical professor of pharmacy practice at the URI College of Pharmacy and the academic collaborations officer at the Rhode Island Department of Health. So Anisha, we're recording this Friday morning very early. Uh, are you excited for the weekend? Yes, I'm excited to stay in because of COVID. COVID and the cold? Yes, exactly. And influenza, apparently. Right. We've got all kinds of things going on. Future, yep. future podcasts. Yes, future podcast topics. And did you see the results from our PharmD Pub Health Twitter poll yesterday about how uh, the pandemic is affecting mental health? Yes, it's important that people follow that Twitter. It's how they find out about our episodes also posted on Spotify. But uh, with only 16 hours up, we had 59 votes. 83% said the pandemic has worsened their mental health. Uh, 8% stayed the same and only 7% said it was better. And we actually talked about making this sentence, not, you know, has it affected, but it's how it's affecting your mental health right now. So this is clearly an important and ongoing um, problem. Right. Have we, Anisha, do we have any data on how the pandemic has affected mental health? We do. We have a few studies that were recently published and they say that the use of prescription medication, counseling services, and unmet need for mental health services rose significantly during the pandemic. And the overall use of antidepressant medications increased by 7.9% between 2019 and 2020. So that just comes to show that the pandemic has really worsened people's general mental health. Well, it's interesting in all the data that we've been reviewing, you know, in any particular year, one in five people has currently has a mental health condition and it's costing uh, almost 200 billion with a B dollars annually. So clearly, I think that there's some cost savings in there and hopefully here we'll on the regimen, we'll find some folks, uh, we'll find some solutions and, and, and get some folks interested in those solutions. Um, right. we're talking about college students though. You're in college and we're going to interview some folks. Uh, what, what data do you have on college students? So I can tell you that only a quarter of students that have mental health problems actually look for help, which is kind of scary that students aren't reaching out when they need help with their mental health. Yeah. Why, why, I mean, why is mental health so important, right? I think we've we've seen, you know, sort of decreasing stigma. We'll talk a little bit about the stigma, but, um, you know, we don't talk about mental health the same as we talk about physical health. So um, it's, tell us it's about just it. as important as physical health. And we need to promote positive well-being for mental health as well. And mental health is public health. So it it shows that, how well society is doing mental health wise. Right. And I think it's important too, to talk about, um, 
in a future podcast, likely we'll talk about the difference between wellness and mental health. And that um, while some estimates show that over half of people between 18 and 29 or those in college have uh, had been diagnosed with a psychiatric uh, condition um, that requires treatment or ideally should be treated, um, we'll talk in a different podcast about things you can do to sort of preserve your wellness or to distinguish wellness from, from mental health. Um, but despite that, despite all the interest in wellness probably brought on by the pandemic, we still see these mental health conditions stigmatized. Can you tell us more about that? Yeah. So that's a great question, Dr. Bradberg. I think that there is a lot of stigma around mental health because it's looked at as being weak and we don't want other people to have a skewed view of us. And stigmas with mental health come from misguided views that individuals are different from everyone else because they have a mental health condition. And it's not really fair because when someone has a bad knee, we don't stigmatize them for that physical health reason. And I think that there's also a cultural standpoint that comes in here. And that's a whole nother podcast um, episode topic. But a lot of America is made up of immigrant families and mental health is taboo. It's not really talked about. So that plays a big role into it as well. I think the the big problem with stigma um, and some of the work that I do with substance use disorders, which are intimately related to mental health issues um, and the stigma associated with them is that they're, you know, we, we want to make somebody different, right? And we don't, um, we don't want to be either given special help and we don't right. want to be separated. Um, but yet I've taken, I've taught students who've had crutches and helped them. Yeah. Um, but you see someone with crutches. I think the difference with mental health that's typical is you don't see anxiety. Um, and even I'm not a clinician, uh, I'm not a mental health clinician, but I I've, I've taught for 20 years. I can see, and I'm more sensitive to these issues to sort of peripherally screen for anxiety to say, you know, re- reach out. I'm a role model. I'm a professor, but you know, what would you think if your professor said, Hey, maybe you should call the counseling center, Anisha, you know, you're a high performing pharmacy student. You don't think that, you know, that, that may be stigmatizing in itself and actually push you away from help. What do you, what do you think about that? I think that if you approached me and said, maybe you should see counseling at first, I would be like, wait, how can you say that to someone? But I think that professors see a side of their students that others don't get to see in their behaviors at school and such. And I would really take your advice into consideration and say, maybe I do need to see someone. Maybe it's time to get help. Right. And college counseling centers are unfortunately overwhelmed. I I think, again, as stigma goes down and maybe not just professors, probably more likely it is family and friends who, you know, once you yourself, you know, I go to counseling, so I'm much more comfortable talking about telling other people to do that, to right. say, I thought I had a problem. I did a solution. You know, as pharmacists, I think we kind of see the medication side to say, am I going to discriminate against you because you're on an antidepressant? Well, 30 years ago, I think people were. I think now medication is more accepted and it is effective, but for some conditions, medication plus counseling is even better, but for some people, they don't want to take medications but a medication takes a second to take and going to counseling 
despite the pandemic sort of era of telehealth and other solutions, telepharmacy, um, it, it's more difficult, right? Absolutely. Um, so yeah, so some of those, we, we wanted to talk about some of the treatments and, and how they're stigmatized. Why, um, why, why are even medications and, and counseling uh, like cognitive behavioral therapy or other therapies, why are they stigmatized and, and underutilized? I think it goes back to what you said a few minutes ago about not being able to see the condition. You don't see someone being depressed or having anxiety in society. Like when you walk into a pharmacy, you don't, you can't tell who's on an antidepressant. So I think it comes from that. And I think some families can be sort of dismissive about mental health concerns and depression, anxiety can only be seen in behaviors, not physically. So I think that's the reason that a lot of these treatments are underutilized because we're not actually seeing it in the person. And this is where I think in college, again, not just pharmacy school or, or really anyone, it's a, it's a massive time of change. There's isolation built into it. We know that that's severe for both older folks and really for anyone. Um, it's difficult to make friends when you're trying to avoid COVID or you can't see people's mm-hmm. faces because they're masked. Um, but academic performance is very robustly linked to depression and anxiety. And so mm-hmm. one of the things I think I've adopted is not to say, well, you're just not working hard student or Anisha. It's tell me what's going on, you know, tell me what's been successful, what's going on in your life. And almost always in those cases, now that I ask that question, people are actually willing to admit to me. And I think that's a big change, um, both before the pandemic and especially during the pandemic to say, look, we're going to, we have to address that because your whole academic career is not going to get better unless that underlying issue is solved. Right. And I think that as a professor, you get a really good advantage to seeing how students academically perform. And, you know, if we have a student that always gets 95s and all of a sudden, they fail a test, you, you know, can see that issue happening and immediately intervene and say, hey, what's going on at home? Why, why are your grades not as good as they were before? Is there an underlying issue or did you just not perform well? I think a lot of this deals with self-awareness and that's where the stigma is such a huge thing that your, your cultural background, your family background, you know, we'll talk, we've talked individually off the podcast and in future podcasts that you know, your identity has a huge influence on this. I've had students say, I'm supposed to do well because I'm in this program, therefore I must do well. And things that I've read on Twitter where we go, why do we design health professional education to be so disastrous to people's mental health and then expect them to come out on the other side and respect it on other folks? I think if we treat people like adults, realize they have these conditions, the effect of these conditions, the cost of these conditions, we can spread through academia and other realms, um, sort of greater awareness and, 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 and screening and things. So the pandemics had a huge effect. Uh, let's, let's start there. People want to hear, what do you, what do you want to say, Anisha? So I want to say that what I believe the number one reason to negatively impacted mental health is isolation and lack of social interaction and kind of college students being ripped away from what they're used to and coming into a completely new setting where you have to talk to your friends only over social media or on the phone and everything has to be done via technology. Um, I think that 
as humans, we are, we naturally survive by having social interaction and it's just a necessity. And when that gets taken away from you, it's really hard to cope to and adapt to the change. Right. And, and, and not given the tools, right? I mean, I'm, I'm hopeful, I'm not confident, but in some places, people who are graduating high school are sort of taught about that isolation now. We have greater attention to it and to say, you know, here are best practices to make friends online. It's still never the same, right? Um, if you have someone who's, this is the age range when diagnoses are made, right? So, so there's, Absolutely. you know, there's a higher percentage among these. The pandemic has made it worse. And just that whole transition of college, uh, you're going to talk to a colleague about, you know, what happened in a lot of March 2020s for a lot of college students and how they've adapted or having, not having prom. I, I think you talked about mm-hmm. your, your brother graduating and missing, yeah, missing out yeah. on something. He, he did his, he did most of his senior year online and luckily he did get to experience prom and graduation, but during May and June, 2020 at the height of the pandemic, there were so many um, high school seniors that didn't get to have that experience. And unfortunately, something that I think a lot about is those same high school seniors went on to their freshman year of college and they had to do it at home virtually. They never got to have an ideal college experience. And that that's really unfortunate. I made all my friends during my freshman year of college. Yeah, same I don't year. Know. Yeah, it was yeah. a it was a miraculous year, my first year of freedom. Exactly. But you're not free if you're doing the Zoom thing, you know, right. all, all year round. Um, so with all that consideration and this this both pre, during, and I guess we're still in the pandemic, or we are in the pandemic. What are there more mental health resources available, or what like what did you know about in terms of resources since you were in college before the pandemic and during it? Um, like what are you, what are you aware of and, you know, what can we do about those resources? So that's a really good question, Dr. Bradberg. I think a lot of students are not aware of what is available to them, um, on campus. So I feel like during my freshman year of college is when it was talked to us the most because that's when you're just coming onto campus. You don't really know what's out there, but after that, it, went down, we forget about it. We forget that it's a resource. And I think it needs to be, they need to give us reminders about these kinds of things. We're busy. That's not really the first thing on our mind. Um, But with the pandemic happening and us going virtual on 80% of things that we do on a daily basis, I think a lot more resources and opportunities have opened up. So I was reading this article and West Virginia University established a partnership with Talkspace, which is an online platform that matches you with licensed therapists and you can talk to them from home. And that's a resource that some people don't even know exists. So I think that other colleges should start thinking about doing things like this. Um, Increasing and sustaining yeah, I mean, I think I, I don't fault colleges who sort of, you know, you you get that packet in the mail or an email with a giant PDF of all of these things. I remember my right. first day going, you look at all this that? stuff. 
this doesn't apply to me and you recycle it and then you're done. Exactly. I think that, I think that telehealth, I mean, there's plenty of data and now insurers cover it. So that's very important, right? I think typically most folks have insurance through college or their parents in that age. So that's a helpful thing, not yeah. for all people. Um, but you can do telehealth or you can, you know, if you're, if you were uh, in, in high school and identified your own need for help, you can continue with that same therapist okay. at college, maybe in a different time zone. Um, there are texting services, betterhelp.com is another, we get no sponsorship from these folks, but, um, <laughs> you know, I think some people who, who still have that higher level, that threshold of, of stigma is that, gosh, I'm really comfortable texting. Maybe that's a service that works. So I think having those options and, and I just sort of a public service announcement, there is a, uh, a 24 seven line called one eight through SAMHSA, a federal government agency, one 800 662-H-E-L-P. That's 1-800-662-H-E-L-P or 4357. That's the number to call um, for free to talk to anyone about referring to local providers or again, telehealth providers. So even though those providers are in, in short supply, I think you've got more access. So this college student who doesn't have a car, can't drive places, is far away from their therapist, can at least maintain those things or even start their therapy in college and revisit it when they go through another transition, when they leave college. It's another thing you're going to go through right. too um, and your colleagues. And I think that's something, you know, being aware, being comfortable. These are, these are big hurdles, but I think we have greater help. Um, what's the, what do you think is the pharmacist role? So, you know, you're going to be a pharmacist in a few months here. I'm a pharmacist. You know, we dispense lots of very effective medications for mental health conditions Um what do, you, what do you think is the pharmacist's role or other things that we can do? So we've talked about this before, but pharmacists are, some would say, the most accessible people in healthcare. And I think that that is saying that we're, you know, the face of healthcare. When someone needs something, where do they go? They go to the pharmacy. So I think one big role that the pharmacist has is being able to talk to their patients um, whenever they want and whenever they can, and also encourage people to not just take their medications, but continue their medications. We talk about adherence all the time. That's such a big part of mental health is making sure that you're taking it every day. So just little things like that, I think, we're able to help patients in that sort. And, you know, since we are accessible, we're just always there for them to talk to. If anyone ever needs to come in or talk on the phone, we're accessible like that. Now, of course, one of the messages of the regimen is that pharmacists can be providers, should be recognized as providers, right. and are part of the solution for reducing those, those $200 billion in costs um, mm -hmm. and increasing costs. Um, you know, medicate again, medications plus counseling, referring people to counseling, being on demand really, really hard when hours are being cut, workload is immense. We're doing other public health things like vaccinating and testing, selling tests, answering advice, where are COVID antivirals, you know, all these things are sort of acutely on January 14th, the things that are happening. So the, the, the system needs to be transformed. And that if we're going to be providing meds, we need to be reimbursed for that referral service. And there are some mechanisms for that. 
Um, but if we're reimbursed, I think what pharmacists have said is, let's have a public health pharmacist and a operational pharmacist. And you can switch shifts or you can do things like that. Um, it's not paying people more. I don't think that there's a training deficit. I think that there's uh, they're highly trained. They are accessible. We can give them resources to refer people. Um, but we really need to change the transform the service so that people who already are going there don't have to wait on the phone for 30 minutes right. to just ask for something. That's for someone who's in, in crisis. And I think the other thing that we're seeing with hospitals overwhelmed with, with, with COVID right now is pharmacists are primary care providers or community care providers. And to keep someone out of the hospital, one thing, Anisha, I read just recently is there are psych hospitals that are strained because people are coming in and they're positive for COVID. So now you're taking someone who, whose mental health condition has worsened because of the pandemic. They're not positive for COVID and now they're isolated at the very place that's trying to give them help. Right. So any way we can relieve that strain for the acute care system, pharmacists have a role in that as well, I think is really important and really needs to be looked at and uh, we'll keep pursuing those kinds of solutions. Yeah. And um, we also talked about this before, but psych hospitals are so overwhelmed with patients. And that just goes back to show how the pandemic has affected mental health. And that's causing a really big problem for us because people don't know where to go when they need help. And they're going to normal emergency departments that don't have the facility or the proper care for them. So right. that's, we that's definitely, not only do we need, uh, yeah, I agree. E EDs are not the place for, you ask any ED uh, emergency department clinician, mental health is not, that is not the place to deal with mental health. No. <laughs> we worked in those places. Um, it is a, it is, it is definitely where that, that help happens, but um, yeah. So the whole system I think can be sort of flattened to say, let's destigmatize society. That's an easy thing to say, but we can all work on that. We can, you know, some data shows that screening helps. I, I'm not really sure about that. Um, and then when you have a condition, support your friends who are getting counseling. Um, some folks have said maybe counseling sort of like your, maybe you have a mental health annual checkup, right? When I go to my primary care doc, um, I fill out a mental health form, just sort of a screening form. Yeah. Um, and I think that that's destigmatizing in itself to say every single person who goes to my doctor, including me, fills out this form and it has me think about it. And the doc looks at it and says, tell me what you think in a very compassionate, open, um, giving the patient agency to talk about it or not. That's destigmatizing too, to say, okay, we're doing this for everyone, a universal approach. Um, I don't think that can happen in community pharmacy right now, but pharmacists who work in Amcare, pharmacists who work in inpatient services, who work in those psych hospitals, uh, there's definitely a greater inter interprofessional role there. Um, again, even if it's just telling people, we're telling people, go to betterhelp.com, um, go to Talkspace, find those, find those resources, have colleges provide those resources, because the more that the college students know about that, I think you probably know that sometimes you learn things in college and you tell your parents, <laughs> Yep. tell your friends who are not in college, maybe your brother's in high school. And so it just, that, that kind of permeates. And I think that's, that's the goal of why are we doing the podcast? Yeah. And I think just one more thing about the virtual world is you can see 
your provider on your laptop or on the phone. And even if you find someone that, you know, has a counseling office near you with a bunch of different therapists, you can still see them online. You don't need to go into the office. So in a way, the pandemic has kind of transformed healthcare. 100%. Yeah. And, and, and getting reimbursed for it. I mean, you know, Rhode Island is a state that has equalized those payments because again, if I'm a provider and I want to see patients or I have to see patients in person and I'm, and I'm comfortable with it, wearing masks and vaccinated, all that, um, it's going to be difficult for me to have the person who's only has COVID related anxiety <laughs> to go and see me. So there, there's sort of a lot of meta, um, meta things to think about there. All right. I'm Jeff Rapper. I'm a clinical professor of pharmacy practice at the University of Rhode Island. And I'm Anisha, and I'm a pharmacy student at the University of Rhode Island, and we'll talk soon, Dr. Rapper. All right. Thanks for listening to The Regimen. Thank you. All right. So on the next segment of the regimen, we're going to be talking to Matthew Gormley, who is my colleague, my peer, and also a really good friend. So Matt, do you want to introduce yourself? Yeah, thanks, Anisha. Uh, My name is Matthew Gormley. Um, I'm also a pharmacy student from the University of Rhode Island in my last year. I have personal interests in both pharmacology and mental health, and my goal is to eventually become a psychiatric pharmacist. And are you on a rotation right now, Matt, or are, do you have a little vacation? This is currently my off block, so I am not doing a rotation right now. Great. So you have some time to relax and be away from COVID. Yes. <laughs> so we're just going to continue our conversation about mental health and kind of get Matt's idea of how pharmacy school went while we were at the height of the COVID-19 pandemic. So Matt, how did you first feel when we were told we had to stay home for an extra two weeks after spring break? At first, I was pretty excited. I think most college kids were excited to hear that they had two more weeks of spring break. That sounds pretty awesome when you don't think about it for too much. But after I did think about it more, um, I actually got really scared and panicked. Uh, I didn't know what was going to happen or when I was going to see my friends again. I remember feeling like the world was collapsing at one point and it was truly terrifying, very scary. Um, yeah, absolutely. It's it's scary, especially when we don't really know anything about the virus at first. We don't know what is going to happen to us or what it can cause. And after spring break, our semester kind of just got extended to having to be at home. So what was it like doing school from home for two months, pharmacy school virtually, and I'm sure your parents were home, siblings were home. So how did you adjust? Well, finishing the semester from home wasn't really smooth. Like it wasn't a smooth transition. It was very abrupt and new and we kind of had to adjust quickly. It was incredibly stressful, especially when combined with the uncertainty of the future and the difficulty of the curriculum. It felt like everything got flipped upside down and we just kind of had to learn the same material. Um, But as difficult as it was, I'm grateful for like the professors at URI, uh, the university itself. I know a lot of universities were more lenient during this period. Uh, Some classes became pass fail, which helped a lot of students. 
Um, I was also grateful for my fellow pharmacy students. You kind of, being in pharmacy school, you kind of form these special bonds with students that are, are in it together for six whole years. Um, so during the pandemic, that didn't change. We all still supported each other and that definitely helped get through it. As far as home life, um, it was definitely difficult to adjust having to be home all the time. Um, like there's, there should be a boundary between school and home and you don't really realize how important that is until it's taken away. Right. I, uh, I felt kind of trapped in my home almost because like there wasn't really anything else to do. Yeah. Uh, I felt like learning became more difficult and on the flip side, relaxing became more difficult. Uh, I think the impact on oh. mental health is very important um, and it's really dependent on the individual. Yeah. For more introverted students, I feel like they might be more well-disciplined working at home. This transition might not have been um, as difficult as more extroverted students. I feel like more college students are extroverted social yeah. people. Uh, I think those people were definitely hit the hardest. Um, not being able to meet with friends, go out. I know a lot of people decompress this way. So they were definitely hit by the shock of the pandemic more so, um, especially because their way of coping with stress was stripped away from them. Right. And you, like you said before, we don't know the value of things until it's taken away from us. So I think during that time, it was really hard for me because my Friday nights were my time to decompress and hang out with my friends and go out to dinner. And we were not able to do any of that at all. So it's definitely tough, but we all handled it and we're going to be graduating in four months now. So Yep. Yeah, so we, we obviously were able to adapt. It was right. just the initial, the initial finish to that semester was, was so different. Right. Yeah, for sure. And through the time that you were studying from home, how do you think that affected your learning? Like, do you think that the information that we learned during that time had any retention until now? Do you think you feel comfortable taking the NAPLEX and answering the questions that would be of the material that we learned during um, our time at home? Well, specifically regarding the NAPLEX, I know this semester, we, in particular, we were learning about psych stuff and um, the Which semester after, interest. what's that? Which is your main interest. Exactly. And the semester mm -hmm. after that, I actually took an advanced psych farm uh, course. So personally, I think I would do fine on that part of the NAPLEX. But having to adapt and learning from home made learning less enjoyable. I love to learn. I, I think most good students do. Um, but having to learn from home, I feel like the retention uh, suffered a little bit. I know I benefit from studying in different environments, like the library or a coffee shop. I think you can also attest to that. Yep. Um, so staying in the same location felt kind of stagnant. I wasn't really able to concentrate on material at times and it was frustrating because there wasn't really anything I could do about it. Everything was closed. Yeah. I also benefit from having like a set schedule, places to be, people to meet, a routine to follow. Um, my daily routine was completely messed up by the pandemic. So it was difficult to find motivation to work sometimes. Uh, I know these examples might be specific to me, but I think a lot of students would feel similarly. Right. And then your parents are knocking on your door while you're trying to study and they're like, did you eat yet? And you're just not used to having that sort of 
interruption in your day when you're living at college just with your roommates by yourself. So definitely took time for all of us to get used to. But going into that, Matt, how did you make the most of it while learning at home? So I think the biggest thing was kind of establishing some extra discipline. Um, I made sure that I woke up at a consistent time each day, go to bed at a consistent time, kind of keep myself oriented. I feel like sometimes if you don't go to bed consistently, wake up consistently, you almost forget what day it is. Um, So I made sure that didn't happen. I also tried to get out of the house as much as I could for like walks during breaks, trying to get a little bit of exercise in. This helps me feel less trapped for sure. My friends and I would video call um, Mm -hmm. every so often. This helped maintain some semblance of social interaction. Even though my desk was in my room, it was my least favorite environment for learning. So Mm -hmm. I would also try to alternate which rooms I studied and took class in. Obviously, this was difficult if like someone was vacuum cleaning the living room and there was a lot of noise or something. Also, my dad's a musician, so he would play piano and um, that's not a great (laughs) environment for learning either. Um, But you adapt, you make do. Um, I also had to remind myself that this wasn't permanent. I didn't think back then we would see it like the pandemic spreading out over two years, (laughs) but uh, we just kind of had to keep telling ourselves like this wasn't forever. This wasn't forever. Everything will go back to normal at some point. And I think that's a really good coping mechanism just for mental health in general is nothing is permanent. It's never going to stay the same all the time. Things are always changing. And even though the pandemic has lasted two years, we've still found ourselves kind of back to normal. I mean, it's never going to be normal again, but at least the way that we're living right now is a little bit better than it was two years ago. I also feel like our definition of normal has kind of shifted. Like I I feel like if we went like tomorrow, if we went back to like pre-COVID, it would be so weird and foreign to a lot of us, even though that's how everything was. Yeah. Um, And with this adapting and everything, do you have any advice for current pharmacy students that are younger than us that are also trying to figure out this change? Yeah, definitely try to maintain that separation of work and home as much as you can. Um, There's a really, there's a YouTuber called CGP Gray. Um, He Mm -hmm. has a video that he released back in April, 2020, over when the pandemic was first starting and it's called Spaceship U. And it's all about separating different segments of your house to like, for different purposes. Like this is my workspace. I will not be here unless I'm working. working. This is my relaxation space. I won't be here unless I'm relaxing. And if you can kind of set boundaries like that, I think it really helps kind of keep you on track. So like, like I said, it was difficult to work and it was difficult to relax, but if you can separate your relaxing space from your working space, I think it becomes a little easier. For sure. And just to kind of move the focus from school, you know, a lot of students also work during school and especially pharmacy students work during school, whether it's in community pharmacy, hospital pharmacy. So did you work at a pharmacy during the pandemic? And what changes did you see? Did it affect you? Um, Do you have any family or friends that were frontline healthcare workers seeing COVID patients? 
Yes, I did work at a pharmacy at the start of the pandemic. Um, it was a nightmare at first. Mm-hmm. Uh, the, I think even before the pandemic started, the balance between our workload and our staffing was poor. We like it was it was hard to get the regular days work done with the amount of staff we were given. Um, and the pandemic obviously made that much worse. Um, at first, people were coming in in a frenzy, trying to fill everything at once, right. get like ni- get 90 day supplies. We had a lot of stock shortages um, of not just prescription medication, but over the counter stuff too. Um, people at first, there was a lot of resistance for social distancing and mask wearing. So we would have policies in place and everyone would ignore them. Yep. Um, people were constantly asking for toilet paper, paper towels, alcohol, peroxide, thermometers, disinfectant wipes, hand sanitizer. Mm-hmm. All of these were constantly out of stock. So everyone obviously became a little frustrated. Um, their patience was even thinner, even though we were all in this chaos together. Yeah. We're all in the same boat. I think it's hard for patients to put themselves in our shoes because they unless they actually work in the same setting, they're never going to know how it feels. Mm -hmm. So it's just, it's tough for them to understand where we're coming from. And, you know, when a patient gets frustrated, we get frustrated too. And you have to remember that at the start of the pandemic, everyone was scared. And when people are scared, they kind of revert back to panic, almost, almost, yeah, more primitive panicky like behaviors. Um, So I think that was on full display in March and April of 2020. Yeah. Um, And um, basically. Right. And your mom is a nurse, right? That's right. My mom is a nurse. Um, She works in an operating room though. So she's not a floor nurse. Okay. And how did the pandemic affect her work at all? Did she have to move to the floors because there was not really any surgeries going on? Yeah, so because of COVID, all elective surgeries were called off. Um, Of the eight operating rooms that were normally open in this hospital, only one of them was open and it was for emergency surgeries only. So more or less, my mom was out of work unless she decided to help on the uh, COVID floors. Um, But my mom had not been a floor nurse for 30 plus years. So this was not the time to jump back in. She was not experienced with taking care of patients, let alone highly infectious patients. Yeah, for sure. Fortunately, she was able to get some work by screening employees at the hospital for COVID symptoms. Mm-hmm. Um, and eventually she found uh, different parts of the hospital to work in. She was able to take some call for maternity, um, which she enjoyed a lot. Um, and eventually as the pandemic like died down a little bit as the vaccines came out, the ORs opened up again and vex- and um, elective surgeries were allowed to resume. She also was able to find new hobbies during this time. She started doing a lot of gardening and that <laughs> I think that took her mind off the pandemic. Yeah. So she was able to adapt pretty well. Yeah. And so um, on our last segment, Dr. Bratberg and I talked about how prevalent mental health is in college students. So to apply this to pharmacists, how, what challenges are there when we treat younger patients that have mental health conditions? And how do you think community pharmacists specifically can overcome challenges and become able to connect 
with this population and demographic of people? It can be very difficult for community pharmacists to connect with younger patients with mental illness. Just thinking about the very nature of community pharmacy, a lot of the interactions are impromptu. There's no scheduling. At times it can be super busy, super chaotic, um, but you still need to counsel patients on their medications so they understand what's what's going on. Mm-hmm. Um, mental health is very stigmatized for younger patients yeah. seeking help treating their mental illness. It requires a lot of courage. Not yeah. only may they be feeling depressed or anxious, but now they feel vulnerable opening up to psychologists, psychiatrists, social workers, pharmacists, other mental health specialists. Sometimes they don't understand their feelings or how to interpret them. They don't know how they can get better. Uh, And so they put their faith in the hands of healthcare professionals, um, trusting that they will help. Yeah, absolutely. And, you know, since you do want to be a psychiatric pharmacist, how does someone figure out that they need help? I think that we always say the first step to you know, overcoming a challenge is to realize that you need help. So what are some things to look out for? Like I said earlier, for younger people, sometimes interpreting their feelings can be difficult, but I think, I think there needs to be a greater emphasis on trusting your own feelings and listening to your body. Like if you feel that you become overwhelmed easily and stressed. You need to think about what's going on around you, what's going on in your life, what might be triggering Mm -hmm. this stress, these new feelings. So I think paying attention to not only what's going on around you, but how you interpret what's going on around you. Understand why you're feeling the way you are when something. Thank you so much for talking on the regimen, Matt. It was a pleasure having you. And we will talk again soon. Awesome. Thank you so much, Anisha. This was a lot of fun. All right. I'm Jeff Bradberg, a clinical professor of pharmacy practice at URI and co-host of The Regimen. And with us today is Dr. Alyssa Fellini. Welcome. Hi. I'm very excited to be here. Um, A little bit about me is I am a recent graduate of the University of Rhode Island, um, and I am currently an ambulatory care resident out here in Minneapolis, Minnesota at Hennepin Healthcare. Um, So I've been able to really just dive into my residency training following graduation. Sounds great. Well, so you've had the experience of being in the pandemic, both in uh, in class, on rotations, and now in residency, uh, how have those experiences, you know, all those things are very intense experiences, uh, lead to perhaps mental health issues, um, maybe different than sort of the person who's just in class at college. Uh, do you want to talk about those challenges or the differences between those, the pressures, the pandemic, how, how have all those things sort of evolved over these last couple of years? Yeah, it's crazy to think that I have actually been in all three of those settings through this pandemic. Um, It started when I didn't return after spring break and it was my final didactic um, few months of pharmacy school. And to me, that was really kind of upsetting just because of the nostalgia piece of, oh, I'm gonna miss kind of being in the classroom. I didn't get my final goodbyes. Um, But I think it was a really nice refresher for me personally 
um, for my mental health at that time because I was home with my family um, who was out of state. Um, and so that was a really nice way for me to kind of prepare prior to going out on rotations where I'd be again away from family. Um, but then transitioning into my fourth year APPE rotations, I was extremely fortunate. And I've told you know this to anyone who's asked me all throughout the last year that none of my experiences were compromised by COVID. Um, I think that definitely helped me both mentally and emotionally get through that you know, difficult clinical training period. Um, but I was able to do a few virtual rotations, but, um, you know, that didn't interfere with the, the learning and what I had gained from those. And all of my clinical rotations were able to be conducted in person. Um, and now flash forward to my residency and I didn't think I would be anxious kind of going into work and working with patients during the pandemic because it's been so long now that I've kind of been in um, that setting, but it has been challenging. Um, I am a naturally anxious person. And, you know, this is something that my younger sister actually taught me to be very brave and courageous about sharing with others. Um, and so that's, I think, helped me tremendously to be honest and open with my residency director, my co-residents, um, to just let them know how I'm feeling. And, you know, with my ability to be open and comfortable with who I am and what I go through, um, I've actually gotten three other residents to seek counseling um, during the year. Um, and it's, you know, they're, they're like, thank you so much. No one has ever made me feel like that was okay to do. Um, and so just as a residency class, I think, you know, we're all going through this challenging clinical training and all the overwhelming projects you know, that come with residency, but um, we're able to be there for each other. And I think that's an important mental health message. Yeah, I think one of the things that uh, my student uh, and co-host Anisha talked about is, you know, I saw on Twitter, they're saying like, why, why do we make medical or professional training so intensely destroying? Because we're not training people to help each other, right? It's already a competitive environment. Residency is competitive. Um, you do have lots of things to do. So, wow. I mean, that that's amazing. I think that's, I hope that this becomes the standard that we're not, I mean, do you think that your training has been compromised or that, that it's been, um, you know, easier, or do you think that, I think the thing is that people seek mental health, you know, training and they say, or, or they seek mental health counseling or other, you know, medications and they feel like that they're weak, right. Is, is, have you heard that before? You know, there's the stigma about seeking help, right? Absolutely. Um, it is very disheartening to think, you know, how our society has changed. And yet this is still an area that stigma is, you know, very high. Um, and, you know, like I said, my sister is currently a senior in high school and she has been applying to different colleges and she's being recruited for field hockey. And the number one thing she says to these coaches is, I'm, in, you know, I have anxiety, you know, what will you do to support me? And this is a 17 year old saying that. And, you know, I think I've definitely heard that, you know, having any mental health issue and seeking help for it shows weakness shows, you know, you can't handle it on your own. That is so not the truth. 
Um, I think it takes such bravery to seek help for mental health. And especially right now with, you know, the isolation that has come out of COVID and, um, you know, we're seeing an increase in overdoses and all of these other negative things that it's just screaming for the attention of reduce the stigma, allow people to seek help when they need it, make it, you know, the norm. Um, and so that's something that I'm trying to instill in both my colleagues and my patients um, as I've kind of become a practitioner. Right. It's that it's those layers. And, and you and I have talked about this with substance use disorder, really anything that stigmatizes that society says you have to act a certain way and your identity. Right. And that's different in different parts of the country. Um, your family expects certain things of you and revealing things to them may be difficult or maybe culturally different. Um, you have your partner, you have, you know, you know, all of these things. And then yourself to say, what's your professional identity, your personal identity, you know, you use the word brave, but you also use the word norm. And I think that's the shift that we are hopefully seeing. And the pandemic is putting that pressure on. One of the things Anisha and I talked about is that we're here talking about mental health diagnoses, like panic disorder, anxiety, depression. Can people feel depressed and not be diagnosed? Yes. Can they be anxious? and not have anxiety disorder. So our focus today is really on those things. And the idea of, you know, it's been, it's been discussed this idea of wellness, right? Or resilience, and you must be resilient. I think one of the things that's important is that the environment needs to change, right? If, if, if healthcare training or health professional training, or even, you know, classroom training is so intense and, and shifts to, you know, shifts anxiety, you know, normal anxiety, normal stress, um, you need to deal with those things, but shifts it to a disorder that has huge, huge costs. And, um, you, like, what do you think is the, what do you think is needs to be systematically changed in residency in, you know, it, it's, it's a great story. You talk about your sister seeking these, like, look, my baseline is how am I going to be helped? And if you help me, I'm going to help you. I'm going to be a better pharmacist, doctor, lacrosse player, college student, if you address these things. So what needs to be systematically changed or what have you seen that has been changed? Yeah, um, I have to say, I was not able to see my site before I came out here because of COVID. Um, but I have been extremely pleasantly surprised with the amount of services and resources that are available to me as a resident and even an employee, um, specifically for both medical residents and pharmacy residents at my health system, we have a staff psychiatrist, a staff, um, they're actually in the process of hiring a staff psychologist specifically for residents. And we also have a um, primary care provider that is basically on call just for the residents whenever we need, um, you know, an appointment or to be seen. And that has changed, you know, my experience dramatically. Um, I know I can just send them a page that, you know, the same system we're using to communicate for our patients and say, hey, do you have a few moments just to chat? Um, and I've taken them up on that offer. Um, and it's just been really, you know, well accepted. And, you know, our preceptors highlight wellness. The inpatient um, pharmacy practice residency program director is like, I, you know, months ago, schedule three-day weekends. I want you to use your days take the time off. This is an extremely busy time, you know, and that is just something I did not expect um, because that isn't what I feel as though it's offered normally. Um, I mean, when so, I had 
you mean my entire first residency year when I worked 60 hour weeks and had, I worked 14 days straight and then had two days off. I'm hopeful <laughs> that has changed period. It sounds like it has. And I think that's the interesting thing, right? Sometimes like in public health, there are resources that nobody knows to access, but it's there and that's disappointing. And then sometimes we realize there's a problem and there just isn't enough stuff. So I think what's interesting is you felt comfortable to talk about yourself or see these issues in your colleagues and they had an easy way to do it, right? If that didn't exist, yeah. that might not be difficult, right? To, to overcome stigma or to, to talk to somebody who probably those, those staff people hopefully know this is a big step for people to seek this out. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. So what, so in a less resourced place, we talked about, um, you know, sort of thinking about how college students communicate using, or, or, or young people or anybody, right? Texting, telepharmacy, telepsych, um, you know, being able to maintain your own connections with counselors or psychology, you know, or providers, you can keep your provider when you go to a residency site, right? Maybe you've experienced that um, and, and the benefits of that. So you're not just moving to a new place and then starting completely over, right? Yeah. Um, do you have any comments on that? I do. Yeah. Um, I think just having that virtual option now, like it might've always been there, but not until the pandemic happened, did we start to see more and more marketing for that. Um, I know there's multiple different, you know, telehealth psychology, um, kind of companies that are a group of psychologists. You can set up an appointment. I'm the name is slipping my mind, but, um, you know, I personally experienced having a, uh, a therapist from Rhode Island when I was in school that was offering virtual appointments. So when I moved to Minnesota, I was able to have that continuity of care um, in my mental health. Someone who knew my story, someone who saw me kind of go through a stressful time in school when other environmental factors may have been more socially normal um, than they are now. So yeah, I definitely think that is a, an amazing resource that we now have at our fingertips. Yeah. So it sounds like you can start with those things. You can end with those things. I have people in my life who work all day and don't work at home like me. And I could just jump on an appointment and these people need to have a seven o'clock appointment. And, you know, I've got young kids. This is, this is a hard thing to do. Um, or people have young kids, like, where do you go to get help? Well, you can, you can log on at 7 PM, right. Or you can log on on the weekends. And I think that that's interesting, which is kind of goes to my point about, you know, here at the regimen, we like to talk about the pharmacist role. Um, where, where do you think the pharmacist role is now? Now we also talk about the improbable systematic problems that pharmacists in the community Amcare are dealing with, uh, reimbursement problems, provider status, um, maybe lack of training, but where do you see pharmacists helping now? Or how, how have you helped uh, in, in mental health? Have you done any rotations in that? What's happening now? I, yeah, no, that's um, very pertinent. I am actually just finishing up a psychiatry rotation that has been a combination of inpatient and outpatient. Um, and kind of listening to your question reminded me specifically of a patient I saw yesterday um, who was referred to pharmacy by her provider because she was just overwhelmed with her medicines. Um, and so, and when I was looking at her regimen, um, you know, every number is very relative, you know, it's individualized to each person, what's overwhelming, what's hand, you know, what's able to be handled. And she was taking four medicines daily. 
um, for oral medicines. And now, you know, for me being a pharmacist, seeing patients with 30 plus meds on their, um, their medication list, I was like, oh, okay, this is doable. But for her, with someone who had a panic disorder kind of diagnosis, it was, it was a lot to do every day. Um, and so just being able to work with patients on more of that individualized level, knowing the medicines, knowing different options that we could provide them. We wound up switching her. She was on three different supplements and we wound up switching to her to a prenatal vitamin actually. Um, and that was just a simple thing that I, I believe pharmacists have a unique spot to help with patients and mental health and just kind of being able to handle their medicines a little bit better and giving that support. Earlier today, we recorded our first segment there. We reviewed a, a little bit of data of young people in Australia and what do they see their pharmacists as? And they were totally fine to get advice from the pharmacist. They thought they saw it as a safe space. They had questions about their medications. Um, I mean, it's one of those things, you know, we talk about pain medications or medications for opioid use disorder or other substance use disorders. You may not want to take it, but there's sort of a, a meta level of taking meds, realizing it's for your mental health, maybe not liking the side effects of meds, you know, so there's a psychology to medication taking anyway. And you add that layer when the meds are for mental health. And if you don't have a counseling component for some people it may not work as well. Um, or I think there's also a fear of not having access to your meds, you know, like, yeah. wow, I was in a bad spot. These meds have helped me. And now there's this pandemic. I'm so happy pharmacy is an essential service that's available. Right. Um, Absolutely. And having pharmacists, you know, again, that pharmacy referral, I think is great. Um, so if you could make the perfect pharmacy mental health system, which I know you're going to make in your, your training to do, what, what would you see that as? So the number one thing that comes to mind for me is when people talk about wellness and, you know, your mental health, they put all the onus on the individual you know, oh, get some sleep, take some time off for yourself, you know, reduce your stress. That is the worst advice in my opinion, um, because someone is already going through a challenging time. They're either depressed with unmotivated, you know, so many other components, just telling them to get more sleep or, you know, work in a workout every day. Um, I think there has to be Eat better. Yeah. No specificity. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I think, you know, the number one thing I would have as my mission or vision for um, a pharmacy led mental health institution would be, or organization would be to just showcase that partnership of support from the pharmacist, from any of the providers um, that we are a team with the patient. We're going through this with you. It's not, you know, we're just going to give you all these tools and say, okay, we'll see you in a few months. See how you do with all this. You know, we want to follow up with you. We want to be there to individualize what our plan is, um, what's working, what's not. That would be kind of my, my, my vision for what it would look like. So ideally it would be sort of, you know, obviously reimbursing and staffing farm community pharmacies, ambulatory care settings, primary care, where, yeah, I think it's the psychology of, of all medicines, right? We have a disadherence problem, 50 to 75% of people don't take their meds. And when people don't take their mental health meds, then they go to the ED, which is also a fearful place to go. Yeah. Then they probably have incidental Omicron COVID. And so they went from isolation 
and not med taking to now a hugely scary place to then go put in isolation in an inpatient place that's probably understaffed. And so I actually see that pharmacy, both for, for all medical conditions, but maybe focused on mental health to say, be the coach, right? Yeah. Refer people to services. We're all talking about ways to reduce inpatient pressure, right? Reduce people yeah. going to inpatient. We've always said this about pharmacists and primary care, but maybe our niche is, is that mental health due to pharmacy is one of the most trusted professions. It's visible, it's accessible. And if we can, um, you know, I think pharmacists are trained to do that, right? It doesn't take much to go from, well, I can advise you to take your blood pressure medicine to your anxiety medicine. Do we need special training for that? I would say, no, I don't know if you, you're in special training, so I don't want to, and that's a great thing, but um, not all pharmacists are going to be ambulatory care or mental health or psych specialists, right? And we all need those things, but I feel like that there's a, a baseline that we can, that we can help there. I think, you know, you're, you're kind of touching on this, but I, I believe pharmacist training and patient communication is above most other health professions because of our interaction with patients. Um, we have to be able to translate all the technical knowledge to something that, uh, you know, any individual who has not gone through all that training will understand. Um, so that I believe is, you know, kind of what you're touching on with the unique skill and the unique aspect of pharmacy and how we can help in this section. Right. You're absolutely right. It's the training in health literacy. It's, it's literally motivational interviewing, right? Yeah. <laughs> it's, I mean, you know, MI is about patient. What do you want? What are you willing to do? What do you think about this thing? I mean, I think that most people would agree that it's a psychological technique. It's not counseling, but it's something to say to achieve all these goals, right. Um, to, to, to go through that. And it, and it can be done in a brief intervention, right. It can be done in those types of things. And those have been done in in pharmacies for, for mental health, even, um, I'll, I'll leave with, I think we talked a little bit about, uh, before the recording on mental health first aid, um, which I know they offer training at a university. Do you see that as having a role in pharmacy? Uh, yeah, I, I absolutely think so. Um, I, I guess that's actually something I was looking into for being, you know, having it be commonplace to your CPR training, um, is to have mental health training. And, um, I think that definitely be a role for, for pharmacy to be because of their ability to communicate. Right. Right. Communicate, refer, they have resources, they're accessible, they're visible. Yeah. All right. sounds like we have a regimen for, for mental health for all people, but even college mental health. Thank you so much for taking time out of your very busy schedule, Dr. Fellini, for joining us. I'm Jeff Bratberg. I'm Melissa Fellini. And this has been The Regimen. Thanks. Thank you.